doubts running through your mind All the excuses don't have the time All the rejection you have to leave behind Leave it all behind Hold your dreams Don't and welcome to Milestones. This is your host, Sarah Conrad. Tonight is our second show featuring a 2016 ACB scholarship winner. Our show tonight is titled Successful Scholars Part 2, Living Life Goal to Goal. Get ready to meet Marcus, a scholarship winner from Colorado who is studying in Arizona. He has a lot to share about experiencing all the many facets of the world and overcoming challenges every day. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue. Clouds of white, the bright blessed day, the dark sacred night, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. So can you tell me a little bit about your studies? What are you studying? What are you hoping to do with your degree? dissertation uh, PhD student finished all the uh, coursework in May of 2014 and then did my you know six month period of uh, preparing for my written and oral comprehensive exams got through that and now uh, have just been researching and writing the dissertation for the last uh, about a year or so um, actually going to New York to present my uh, first chapter of it um, I'm part of the agricultural history society so uh, their annual conference is out in New York this year, going to be presenting there. So I, uh, my, my degree's in history, um, United States history more specifically, and um, I'm technically qualified to teach, you know, world history and, and other things, but definitely a United States specialization. And I do a lot of um, environmental history, and my dissertation is mixing environmental history with uh, the history of the census. So I'm kind of, you know, arguing for, you know, a more encompassing study of, of history. Everything is extremely kind of visual, especially in my environmental field. There's a lot of description of visual transformations of landscapes and how people visually alter, you know, the communities that I'm studying and, and things like that. And I'm saying that, you know, there's a whole uh, deeper kind of central understanding if we incorporate the senses, the non-visual senses into our, into our writing. That's kind of that in a nutshell. Um, I've taught um, at, at community college level and 
also TA'd uh, and a graduate teaching assistant for um, the University of Arizona for the last three years. And I'm hoping to finish this dissertation, this final step of an extremely long journey and um, get on at a Division One university somewhere and ultimately teach. And, and uh, from there, I hope to, uh, you know, if everything goes the way I hope it does, want to ultimately get into the administration at the university level, you know, uh, maybe department head, uh, you know, dean of student affairs, vice president, president of a university one day is kind of the, the ultimate goal. Wow, that's wonderful. You've accomplished so much. That's that seems like a lot of steps in, in the process to yes, you know, yes. achieve your PhD. A lot of, a lot of steps. <laughs> sure, and, and you've you've already accomplished many of them, so congratulations. That's great. a lot closer, that's for sure, but uh, sure. we still have a lot of work to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, with your dissertation, you know, focusing on the senses, when you chose your topic, would you say that your visual impairment played into your decision to write on that topic? Well, absolutely, for, for several reasons. Um, in history, you know, we're using a lot of primary source documents, and so uh, I wanted to definitely choose a time period before uh, 1922 because that's a copyright law where, you know, things published since then aren't always public domain. So uh, definitely the time period in terms of having a lot of these online archives like HappyTrust.com, Google Books, a lot of these sources that I, uh, that I mine for primary source research, uh, most of the stuff that they have online is all public domain. So not only did my topic, you know, kind of relate or, or was influenced by my, uh, by my size, but also uh, the kind of time period and just from a practical standpoint of trying to stay out of, you know, physical archives where nothing is digital and you got to get a reader or you got to, you know, try to avoid that as much as possible. But in terms of the topic, uh, yeah, I think that there's... Just a, like I said a minute ago, just a whole different sensual perception or understanding that I believe in our society is completely overlooked. Mm-hmm. And I use that term literally because everything, everything is so visually mm-hmm. focused that, you know, when you go to a concert, for example, you, of course, uh, people that can see are going to watch the performance, the dancing, the lights, whatever. But you're also uh, smelling the popcorn or you're also mm-hmm. uh, feeling the cool breeze or you're tasting the, the hot dog at the ballpark or whatever. So I'm saying that, of course, vision is important, but, you know, if, if, we, if we kind of dig deeper and think about sensual experience as a whole, then that incorporates more than just vision. So sure. trying to kind of maybe not wake people up to that idea, but, you know, to I think as a visually impaired person, a blind person, you know, some of the most common questions that I think we always get asked, right away, it's also you must hear better or, <laughs> or have better other senses, right? Sure. My answer is always kind of what I just said now, and that's, I think, what led to my dissertation topic is that I don't, it's not that I, we, I have some sort of super sense hearing or that I, my tongue tastes better or anything like that. It's just if you lack visual distraction, then you're, you're picking up on, on more of the, you know, fuller kind of mm. uh, sensory perception that I, I hope to, you know, kind of convey in my, my uh, economic development. That's wonderful. So when you're presenting on these topics or when you're writing for audiences of people who have maybe 20-20 vision, how do you tailor your writing or your presentations to those audiences? How do you help kind of bridge the gap between their maybe understanding and, you know, the world of, of someone who's blind? Well, I think, you know, I think a big part of it is, and I, you know, I've, I was just talking with some friends about this the other day, and yeah, I've thought about this a lot over the 
course of my academic and just personal life journey thus far, you know, I think that the, the being blind is, uh, attracts, uh, you know, a ridiculous amount of attention, no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. You have the white stick, you have the guide dog, you're going yes. to have eyes watching, you're going to have the attention. So I think that is something that we all need to utilize to our advantage versus the other way versus, um, you know, the, the negative stereotypes or different things like that. So mm-hmm. you know, understanding that no matter if I walk to Walmart or if I go to the gym or if I'm out on a date or whatever the case may be, that I'm probably always going to have extra, you know, eyes watching. So it's, I think how I relate to people is, is just is inherent. Whether I want to or not, people are going to be paying attention to me a little more closely just because I'm blind. So I think when I go present at these conferences, it's no difference. It's, it's uh, you know, they see me go up to the, to the front or whatever to give my presentation. I introduce myself as, you know, as the, uh, the, the writer that I am, but also the, you know, they see that I can't see. And so I tell them, you know, I usually crack a, or open it up with a little story of, Know, something I've done, or you know, in, this case, in the case of New York, I'm presenting my chapter on um, uh, it's called Tasting Rocky Ford. So I'm telling the story of economic development of a small agricultural town here in, in Colorado, uh, but I'm telling it through the story of taste and how the taste buds are what decided how the land is going to be used and, and determined that it was going to be an agricultural community versus more of a cityscape and determined that they were going to grow these specific cantaloupes because of the climate mixed with kind of uh, hybridization of seeds and things like that made superior melons in the region. So I'm saying that it's easy to say, okay, someone just said we're going to become an agricultural community and here's what we're going to set up all kinds of ponds. My point is that the taste element is really what drove that. So uh, I'll, I'll just kind of tell a story of, you know, have you ever been to a concert or something and, and got a hot dog, for example, that was just much better than, you know, a ballpark hot dog. That's a good example. Sure. It's better than any hot dog you can build at home or something like that. It seems to just taste a little bit better. So I just try to relate to them in a, mm-hmm. in a kind of funny or, or you know, way that they have their attention. In terms of writing, I think that's the trickier part because you're not, when they open your book, you're not, you're not right in front of them. So it's a little, you know, using the language is a little more complicated, I think, to get that message across. But, you know, I think that's what we're trying to do as writers is try to you know, make those connections. Absolutely. That's great that you're being proactive and thinking about ways that you can kind of bridge those conversations for them to be able to relate. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think humor and sarcasm are some of the best, uh, best tools for doing that. You know, poking, sure. poking fun at yourself, not in a, in a self-deprecating or, you know, right. or a negative way, but, you know, just saying things that I think a lot of times people want to say, you know, that yes. they may be afraid to say. So I'll say it because I'd rather just get it all out. So that's just yeah. always kind of in my, my stance anywhere, my stance. Absolutely. So can you describe um, any challenges that you've faced through your education journey or otherwise, you know, as someone who is blind, um, any issues that you faced with accommodations or times that you had to advocate for yourself with professors or other students or otherwise? Sure, sure. I think kind of several things along those lines. I mean, uh, I think the biggest thing initially is just uh, kind of uh, recognizing a self-worth, self-worth or, or uh, an ability or, or a desire. I mean, because basically a lot of the time, even people that have the best of intentions are probably going to expect less of you than you do. So understanding that, you know, okay, well, these people, you know, I remember, for instance, my first... Um, uh, semester of college, 
there was a, a scholarship or a, an organization that was going to help pay for a, a class or two at my, at my first semester. I wanted to sign up for a full load of, I think, 12, 15 credits, whatever it was. And they were saying, no, we're not, you're not, you're, you're, well, you're not going to be able to finish all that. You should probably start off slower. And granted, I was a horrible student in high school. I didn't even know how to graduate because I was jacked around and wrestled really. School was not the, the top priority for me. So they may have had a point there. But I mean, you know, I, I took it upon myself to say, no, I'm not Because if I take two classes, it's going to take me twice as long than if I just take four or five right away. So mm-hmm. kind of making your own decision, setting your own plan, regardless of what others may try to influence you, because you're the only one that knows what you can handle and can't handle. So I think self-advocating for yourself in that regard, in terms of disability center stuff, I've had great experiences at all three of the uh, colleges that I've been at, the community college. I started off here in Pueblo, um, Colorado State University, Pueblo here in Pueblo, Colorado, and then now at uh, the University of Arizona. But I think, you know, by the motto, people really help. They want to help people that want to help themselves. So if you're proactive, if you are the first one in there, two months before classes start with your full book list because you bugged your professors to get it to you two months early, they're going to say, hey, this guy's not showing up the day before something's due and asking us to convert 400 books in a 24-hour window. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to see that you've put in the, the effort. So I think being proactive in that regard also helps. Um, in terms of the material itself, this digital age is great and the way things are going that they're putting more and more materials online and in online archives. But... That's definitely still a challenge, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of sometimes you just can't get all the stuff you need uh, in a digital, uh, I mean, it's, it's not already digital, I should say. If I'm digging through Farmer's Journals in 1870, uh, and the only uh, the only place those are available are at Colorado State University, and, you know, the actual form of what, you know, the, the printed form, the, not digitized, in other words, then it's kind of been a challenge uh, navigating that and getting over that kind of hurdle. But again, if you kind of just stay on top of things and stay, give yourself plenty of time, then, you know, there's always a way to kind of get that done too. So another long-winded answer, but I'm trying to be concise here. No, absolutely. And, and that's great advice for students. I think sometimes students aren't proactive enough and they, they don't realize that they have to plan ahead more than maybe the average student does. And then they get absolutely. themselves stuck and it's harder to play catch up with those things. You got to think ahead. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, I think when you do that, then the, it's it's reciprocated. I mean, I know for me, when as when I'm teaching classes and stuff, the students that are you know proactive and coming to me and saying, "Hey, I know I've been getting C's on my papers. What can I do to improve this? Or how can I get a you know what do I need to do? What you know the post students? Uh, my job is to help everybody, obviously, but it's a lot easier to help the ones that want to be helped versus the guy who doesn't do anything all semester and then mm-hmm. comes to you the day before and says, hey, why do I have an F? You know, there's not really much I can do for you then, you know. Sure. So, um, you know, it works all around. Absolutely. So you mentioned that, you know, school isn't necessarily a priority for you in high school. What what changed for you? You know, obviously academics are a big part of your life now. What kind of encouraged you to continue on in academia? Well, I, I mean, it's crazy. My, my parents used to make fun of me all the time because they didn't, they, they would always, you know, just like, Good parents should. You need to get those grades up. You're gonna regret it. You're not gonna be able to get into here. You, you, you got to start working harder. And my, I literally remember thinking ever since I was, you know, 15 or something, a freshman in high school. I'm like, all right, once high school's over, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna be in the real world. I'm gonna have to find a job. I'm more than likely as a blind person going to. You know, I, I never say have to do anything, but I wasn't gonna be a cab driver, obviously, or uh, <laughs> you know, an, an electrician, or a police officer, or a firefighter, or 
you know, a lot of these things that require science. So I knew for me, my path was going to be education eventually. So I kind of told myself, well, I'm just going to jack around. I mean, I'll keep my grades. I, I, you know, I, I wasn't failing. I got through high school and everything, but it just minimal effort, whatever I can do to stay on the wrestling mat and, and just have fun and enjoy it uh, until things kind of get more serious. That was kind of my approach right or wrong. And then once I got out of high school, then, again, it was just kind of the switch turned on. It's like, okay, well, the, the, the fun and games are over now. you got to make a living. I also had a, uh, a child uh, when I was 18. Uh, I, couple months before graduation um, was not a planned thing obviously sure. but, uh, things happen so you know that kind of boosted it even further okay well now you have another life you need to support as well so education is going to be something that you're going to need to do as well and then I just always knew that uh, I wanted to be um, I, I liked teaching and I liked interacting with people so I didn't want a, uh, a desk job where I was going to be tucked away in a corner office somewhere typing alone all day I wanted something where I could interact with Positivity and you know self uh, self uh, awareness and, and you know get the whole kind of blind stereotypes taken down one step at a time. So I, I knew that, and I also wanted to. Um, I, I I didn't want to teach high school. In other words, K through twelve. I knew sure. I wanted to get into a university setting because I love that you have the freedom as professors to kind of teach more in depth or topics that are a little more controversial um, than kind of standard in my world in my mind more boring. In 1865, Abraham Lincoln did this, you know, like getting into the deeper kind of things and dealing with adults, you know, mm -hmm. I like the accountability aspect of college where if students aren't showing up, they're paying thousands of dollars to be there, it's not my job to chase them down on the hallways and find them, you know, it's, sure. it's not my job if they don't turn in a test to call their parents, so I knew I wanted to get into the university setting, which meant that I basically had to have a PhD, so just kind of stood on that path this, uh, you know, the last 10 years, basically. That's great. So you've accomplished a lot, you know, throughout education. And are there any specific achievements that stand out to you as really proud moments that you've accomplished? Uh, it's a tough one because um, I'm kind of, uh, I, I kind of, uh, it's, I, I don't know. I've always kind of been when, when I set a goal and then I achieve it. Never really have given myself the time to like pat myself on the back. Oh, you did a great job. I, it's not that I'm not uh, appreciative or that I'm not, um, or that I haven't, you know, recognized the, the hard work that goes into it. It's just, for me, it's just the goal is something you set, you achieve, and then you just forget about it. You set the next goal and you mm. achieve that. And then you, so it's kind of just a continual thing for me. So it's kind of tough. But I mean, I guess some of the, I, I mean, in middle school, for example, I wanted to be in a, uh, uh, marching band. So obviously, without seeing, we're like, how are we going to do that? So my dad and I built a thing out of PVC pipe that connected me with the guy to the left of me and the guy to the right of me. So you know, just early on, I was only 12 years old or whatever. But early on, kind of saying, hey, all right, there's going to be a lot of stuff like this that's going to come up, but you're just going to have to be, you know, ingenuitive and find a way to to, to work around it. So that's one. In high school, um, my senior year, I won the. Um, 2006 uh, Colorado State Wrestling Championship. So that was kind of another big kind of moment. Uh, kind of just any, anything that blind people can do to be in the spotlight in a positive way is uh, I've always viewed as beneficial to all the blind community, not just myself. So that was something that got the kind of word out there. And then, you know, I guess my bachelor's degree, my master's degree, getting through the rigorous PhD coursework and, and written comprehensive exams are all great, but again, kind of an all or nothing guy. So until I kind of close out this last chapter of 
of, uh, of my academic journey, then you know, I'm sure that'll be something that I look back on as very prideful, uh, you know, or that I'm very proud of like, when I finish this uh, final step. Definitely, absolutely, and always good to keep setting more goals after you achieve some. So oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's that's, uh, that's that's what keeps me going, basically. Sure. So a lot of our uh, members in ACB are teachers um, or um, in one way or another, whether they're teaching at a school for the blind or um, whether they're teaching within like a business setting, mentoring and things like that. So um, what advice would you have for for people in teaching roles since you you are a teacher who is is blind yourself? Um, do you have any advice for anyone pursuing a career in education? Well, I think number one, just transcend any, whether you're sighted or not sighted, I think number one is if you're passionate about the subject, that makes things a lot better. Um, I think demonstrating passion or, or knowledge and, and more specifically demonstrating an understanding of all right, the kids that love history, you know, they're gonna they're gonna listen probably because they're interested in it. That's great. But for me, what about the ones that don't? So I, I try to think every day and I try to get to know my students every semester on a level to where uh, I know this person doesn't really care for it, so maybe I'll come in with a fact sheet on Abraham Lincoln of the ten most ten things that no one knows about Abraham Lincoln. This, you know, something completely different. I like thinking outside of the box at all moments. I like. I think rules are meant to be broken and bent a lot. I mean, obviously within reason, but challenging things, confrontation or, or conflict, if it's on, uh, you know, pushing the envelope, basically getting students to think, hey, this guy's teaching us something that. I've never heard it before. I didn't know anyone could do this or that. All I want to eat today is to think understanding that it helps to help the students a little better. I also think that following my dissertation topic, bringing more of a sensory perspective into the classroom is not just what beneficial to blind people, but So I was my first semester at the community college and uh, uh, one of the first history teachers I had the Have anything figured out really at any moment. I mean, 
show tonight. I sure am impressed by Marcus and his energy to keep pushing forward toward new goals each day. Thanks for joining me for another night of successful scholars. These scholarship winners are amazing and they're truly the future of ACB. We sure have a bright future ahead of us in the blindness community. Join me next week to meet Timothy, another scholarship winner who has musical milestones to share with the world. If you missed a milestone show, or want more info about upcoming programs, go to www.acbmilestones.weebly.com. Until next time, this is your host, Sarah Conrad, off to mark milestones of my own. <laughs>